This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. And how did you breach the barrier? With a starship. This starship? Could it carry my wisdom beyond the barrier? It could, yes. Then I shall make use of this starship. It will be your chariot. Excuse me. It will carry my power to every corner of creation. Excuse me, I'd just like to ask a question. What does God need with a starship? Bring to listen to 80s Revisited, of course, because where else do you listen to your podcast? Well, you listen to him in a lot of places, but that's why this quote-unquote God needed a starship, Captain mm. Kirk. I mean, come on, it's not rocket science here. But anyway, <laughs> everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of 80s Revisited. I, of course, am your captain, Captain Trey T. Harris, and with me as always, with his boundless logic and reason, my own personal Spock, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. <laughs> Very well. Very well. Well done. <laughs> anyway, we're back with the final Star Trek V, the final frontier. We all know when you put the word subtitle of a title, or I guess yeah, the, in the title, you have the word final, I should say. It's never final, as we obviously know from Friday the 13th Star Trek. Uh, but yeah, the final frontier. But as you mentioned off camera, off mic, Jesse, it is the final one we will ever cover on 80s Revisited because it is the last Star Trek movie of the 80s. And a lot of people already know why if you're a Star Trek fan, but I have a little different opinion. So let's get into it. This one came out June 9th, 1989, the summer of the of movies, because uh, we'll get in that in just a minute. Uh, but uh, opened uh, IMDb gives it a 5.4, the lowest rated Star Trek. That poster is terrible that you got right there. <laughs> it's, a, it's a poster that says, why are they putting seatbelts in theaters this summer? And then it has Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. <laughs> That's, that, that's a bold move when you're opening opposite Batman, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, License to Kill. It was a big summer, as I just mentioned a few seconds ago. But uh, IMDb 5.4. Rotten Tomatoes, 22% critics, 24% audience. So this was not well received at the time, except by a wee little boy who rented it a whole lot named Trey. Uh, budget was <laughs> estimated at $27.8 million. Doesn't show by the effects, but... I'll tell you why in a little bit. Uh, opening opened 17.3. Good opening was number one. It knocked Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade out of the number one spot uh, after two weeks of reigning supreme. Uh, much better movie, by the way. Uh, domestically, we go on to gross 52.2 million here in the U.S. and then an additional about 18 million worldwide to bring its total to about 70.2 million dollars plus rentals, all that kind of shit. Couldn't find any info on that because that's so hard to find, so rare to find. Uh, although I did expect to see something or find something since it is a Star Trek movie. However, uh, that's neither here nor there. And this one was directed, la the last two were directed by Spock, but the captain got his chance this time. Captain Kirk himself, William Shatner, directed this film. Uh, he also had done previously 10 episodes of T.J. Hooker and the Tech War TV movie. So uh, compared to Litter uh, Nimoy, not too, too much there uh, in a directing oeuvre, so to speak. It was written by David Laurie. Now, he's got some good stuff. He did Dreamscape with Dennis Quaid, an 80s movie. We'll probably eventually get to one day. Wesley Snipes, Passenger 57, which I always remember because every time I go to Vegas or see a roulette wheel and somebody's like, you know, the conversation shifts, I'm like, always bet on black. 
because of his line in that movie. Uh, and he also, David Lawry, also wrote one of the best Disney movies of the 90s in uh, the uh, Charlie Sheen, Tim Curry, Kiefer Sutherland, and Boy Wonder himself, Robin, Chris O'Donnell, Three Musketeers, with that amazing, super cheesy, but absolutely epic theme song. I'll follow one and I'll for love. <laughs> that song is... It's something, but I love it to death. Anyway, <laughs> uh, cinematography by this one was Andrew Laszlo. We've talked about him before because he was the cinematographer on First Blood. Uh, but he also did Inner Space as well, which we've covered. And The Warriors come out to play, which is not an 80s movie by like a year. So we won't get to cover that on this one uh, podcast either. But uh, Jerry Goldsmith does the music. 289 credits to his name. Uh, I always, when I hear Jerry Goldsmith, I think of pretty much... The Omen, Santos, Dominos, which uh, South Park used to brilliant use, yeah. or used brilliantly in an episode with, uh, was it a, a new kid or somebody? I can't remember the setup. Yeah. Season was one. It? A new kid to the neighborhood or? Yeah. I can't remember the setup for it, but Santos. That's <laughs> basically a nod to Jerry Goldsmith and his score from The Omen. They also did Patton, pretty much all the Star Trek movies of the original cast and original crew, uh, Poltergeist, Psycho 2, and most notably an underrated movie and an underrated score with the uh, Val Kilmer, Michael Douglas, 19, late 90s, I believe, Ghost in the Darkness, great score, really help, uh, one of the scores that really elevates the movie. So if you're into scores and you like Jerry Goldsmith and you're just familiar with Omen and Star Trek, check out his score for The Ghost and the darkness very good score uh cast 99 the same as the last movie mm. uh, of course shatner uh, uh kirk nimoy is spock divorce kelly returning as dr hank mccoy uh henry mccoy excuse <laughs> me uh no it is hank i, 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 no, I looked henry, this up right? last week it is i think yeah henry, yeah hank yeah. mccoy is beast it's the beast yeah that's why i kept getting confused last time <laughs> double check me because i swear i looked it up and i was just like Okay, yeah, it's that. And then I've been reading X-Men comics too, so <laughs> you just say McCoy. Yeah, Doc Bones. He's Bones. That's He's what everybody Bones. knows him as anyway, Bones. Of course, James Duhon is Scotty. George Takei returns as Sulu. Walter Koenig as Chekhov. The lovely and talented Michelle Nichols, who we see a lot more of than I ever expected to see in a modern, star, in a 80s Star Trek movie as returning as Uhura. And the new, the new kid. Oh, Leonard uh, McCoy. Warner. Leonard I swear, I swear I called him like something else. Anyway, that's just my brain. That's a total Leonard brain. All, we, probably, we probably lost so many viewer listeners because of that messed up last week. What well, they can always just email you. <laughs> that's right. 80s revisited at gmail.com, but nobody did. So they got so mad. At least mm. I didn't go leave a one star review about how, you know, we miss uh, not knowing his first name because I got completely confused by <laughs> X Men comics. But anyway, David Warner is Talbot. Uh, most notably for me, he's you know kind of the he's the servant of Master Control in Tron. Uh, he was Jack the Ripper in Time After Time, which is a great movie. Again, barely misses the '80s deadline to be covered on the podcast. But if you haven't seen it, uh, check it out because it's basically Malcolm McDowell as H.G. Wells versus David Warner's Jack the Ripper in modern times. Uh, so really cool, really interesting, really great time travel movie. If you haven't checked it out, but a lot of people might. Uh, more modern modern audiences might know David Warner as he was the dude in Titanic that uh, locked up Leo. Hmm. Uh, he was like Billy uh, Billy Zane's hired gun kind of uh, right. character. But also, fun fact about David Warner, he would have been Freddy Krueger, but he had a reaction to the makeup 
therefore opening the door for the amazing and great Robert England to take over the role of Freddy Krueger and permanently sear his face into pop culture. Although not technically much these days, you know, but 80s, 90s, it's all about Freddy, baby. Uh, Lawrence Luckinbill was Cybox, Box Half Brother. Uh, tons of TV, but most notably, he is the son-in-law of Lucy and Desi Arnaz, who also in Star Trek lore, Desilu Productions are the ones that pretty much sponsored and kept Star the OG Star Trek TV show on the air. So, uh, nice little uh, coincidence, I guess. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, he was married to uh, one, their daughter for I'm not sure if they're still married or were married. How long they stay married, whatever. Blah blah blah. But that's kind of his big claim to fame. Uh, mm. I find I thought he was good in this movie. You know, not a bad actor. Uh, Todd Bryant was Captain Claw, mainly known for stunts, but he is a veteran of the podcast in two. Movies Friday the Thirteenth Part Five, which is ironic because this is Star Trek Five. He likes playing the movies with V's, Roman numeral V's in them. Uh, Night of the Creeps, which we covered, and he actually played a different Klingon in Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country. Uh, Spice Williams, great name. Uh, she's the uh, his uh, right-armed lady. Uh, I'm not sure the word in Klingon. Gotcha! Might be the Klingon word. I don't know. I have the Klingon dictionary. I tried to read it. I made a goal for myself to at least know some phrases in Klingon like years ago. And I never did because that's <laughs> what people do. <laughs> uh, but she's Vixus. Uh, mainly does a lot of stunts. Uh, but she has done a lot of TV. She was in The Giver with Mark Hamill. And uh, I guess a fun thing to look for in would be she's an uncredited vampire in From Dust Till Dawn. The OG uh, Tarant uh, Rodriguez movie with Tarantino. So, yeah, that's the that's the cast. Like I mean, It's a Star Trek movie. Uh, so you got all the returning cast uh, as all for the original crew, and you got the new blood that came in uh, there as well, which you mentioned. So this movie now, compared to the last one, the last movie by Star Trek fans is considered the best, one of if not the best. It's right up there with Part Two, uh, Rathacon and uh, Voyage Home are considered most regularly among in Trek circles to be the best of the OG cast and crew. Uh, movies uh but last week as i talked about i i saw four in the theater fucking hated it watched it a couple weeks ago was this is just so fucking dumb i couldn't stand it i did not like four as we talked about last week and this one first time i've seen it in a long time but as a kid i this one and three and i, I want to say it was i had i watched three a lot as a kid because i had it recorded off tv but this mm -hmm. one I rented a lot. Just there was something about this movie as a kid I just liked. It was it, it's it's uh, an hour and forty seven. It's not too long. It kind of moves. Uh, it's it's got the uh, the blend of comedy and philosophy, which me as a young nine year old truly craved in all forms of entertainment. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, watching it recently, like last night, as a matter of fact, for the first time in years, I I, I really understand why people don't like it. I truly do. However. In my opinion, I think this film has some a really it has some it has the outline of the story is really good. I think could have been great, could have been one of the best Trek movies. But I think the execution is kind of, is where it falls apart and in the writing and all that. I think you know million dollar idea, uh, hundred thousand dollar execution, even though the budget <laughs> was almost thirty million dollars. But yeah, basically this one is you know they've gone they've you know they fought they've Brave the wrath of Khan. They searched for Spock. They went home. What's else less to do? What what is left for them to do? Well, go find God. Which uh, hey, 
I'm cool with that. That's, you know, okay, oh, we're going to get a little deep. You know, we're going to get a little deep. We might get a little offensive here to some snowflake people around the world. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so in, you know, the premise alone, I think, is really interesting and, and, and perfect for the flavor or the tone of Star Trek. But, like I said, I mean, uh, I guess you need, you need a better script and a better director, I guess, is the bottom line for this. But, uh, you know, it starts, off, it starts off pretty good. I mean, it's, it, it picks up. I mean, you know, you get, uh, it, I think it does a good job. I think the, the best thing this movie does is show the chemistry between uh, Nimoy, uh, Shatner, and Kelly. They're just how, you know, I mean, these people, these guys have did those roles, two of them till the day they died. And, you know, Shatner's 90 plus going to space and everything. So I guess he's going to outlive the whole crew, which would be very ironic uh, if he was the last of the OG cast to pass away because of his line in this movie, how like, oh, I always knew I would die alone uh, and all that. So life imitating art, possibly. We don't know. Hmm. We'll see. We'll see what the future holds. Although I do have to say, you know, there's some voodoo involved here because sometimes when we cover a movie within a month or so, somebody from the movies we cover tends to die. Mm. Just kidding. That's just, that's called age and coincidence because <laughs> we're talking about eighties movies and the people in eighties movies are 80 years old now. Yep. So that's all that is. But anyway, yeah. So uh, again, this is a, if you're not a Star Trek fan, I, I don't see even having any interest in this movie, but uh, again, I don't know. There was something about it as a kid that I just, I enjoyed this one. And I think it was uh, watching it this time. I really kind of watched it knowing rem constantly reminding myself how much I enjoyed it as a kid. And I think uh, the humor in four when they're in, in our world is so uneven. It's like, here's oh something really funny and then flat, 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 decently funny. Oh, good, funny, uh, better reference, et cetera, et cetera. Kind of uneven. This one, I, I, I do think uh, it does get a little too, you know, my word here, kooky a little with some of the, with some, with some of the uh, puns and that kind of the writing, put it to you that way. Whereas, uh, you know, like Scotty bumping his head and getting that's so stupid. That was just that was dumb. Uh, but it's got some. It does a good job balance like Kirk's uh, sarcasm. Like this, this one really kind of this movie really to me is not. I'm not going to say Pete Kirk because that was that's sacrilege to anybody who likes Star Trek. I reckon. But his attitude, like you know, excuse me, what is God? And he was a starship. Like that. That's you know, that's kind of Kirk to me. He's the realist. He listens, you know, in, and again, I am not a super Star Trek fan. I'm a casual Star Trek fan. I've seen all the movies, all the next generation, a little bit of uh, Inter uh, Voyager for a while. And that's about it. And of course, I've seen some of the original series, too. Don't get me wrong, you know, but I'm not like a, you know, I can, I can own anybody at OG Star Wars trilogy trivia pursuit. Most people, 99% of people put it to you that way. Star Trek trivia. Ugh, I can do okay, mm -hmm. I think. You know? But, you know, just again, this is just to let everybody know my fandom level with it. So, but I like how Kirk in this one, he's, you know, his, his crew's getting like, you know, persuaded by basically the Jim Jones of space uh, who wants <laughs> to take them to the great, the great barrier and beyond to see God. Uh, when all the government's like, no, don't do this. Stop. This is crazy. Uh, and he's like, hey, this is kind of crazy. Uh, and I, I really do. And I really think. The, the philosophical aspects or where they tr what they tried to do in this one were really good and just they were right there to pick off the tree but they it was either the ones they picked off were either too ripe or too you know spoiled by then because just you know uh i think a really great scene uh in this one is where cyborg is showing them their pain which is 
they could have explained that better. It's just like, what is he, a psychic? What does he do? I mean, he, is he just a, a space therapist? I don't know. Whatever it does, it works on some people, but not the three main characters. Uh, you know, to where he's like, you know, you know, where uh, DeForest or Bones' his dad, he basically kills his dad to put him out of his misery. That was a that's a great scene. Adds a whole that adds a whole much to the McCoy character. Uh, Spock being born half human and his father being like, you still human, whatever whatever the line is. You know, it's like that's iconic and very central to that character. But then Kirk, you know, being Kirk, he's like, no, my pain is my own. I need my pain. You know, so there, there's a there's a good argument for the that kernel of good of, of the good idea that's here in in this movie, but again, like I said, bad just great idea. I think this is a great idea, terrible terrible execution, uh, just uneven. And you know, I can't really blame it necessarily just on the screenplay and Shatner because this movie's an hour and forty seven. He turned in an over two hour cut of the movie. Could that made it better? Possibly. Could it made it worse? Also possible. Uh, so, you know, could, did they cut things, you know, were sacrifices made to make it in the time frame they wanted it that were de- ended up being very detrimental to the place of this film in Star Trek history? Quite possibly. Or then again, might not made a hill of beans difference. We'll never know because we don't, from my research, that uh, cut is probably never going to, never going to surface. But yeah, Jesse, uh, we talked, I already know the answer to this, but have you ever seen this movie, Jesse? Have you ever seen Star Trek V, The Final Frontier? I have not. I'm more of a fan of the TV iterations of the Star Treks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like 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 we said, you know, I've seen all the Star Trek movies when they came out as a kid because we didn't have we did not have Star Wars movies growing up in the '80s. After Jedi, we had nothing until pretty much um, the Ewok movies, which were they're fine. We covered them on the podcast. They're fine, but you know, Star Trek was getting major. They had four movies in the '80s. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was like it was the big sci-fi thing. It was the big sci-fi franchise in the eighties. So we had Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> you kids these days, you know, you got prequels and Disney Plus with the Mandalorian. You know, it's a great time to be a Star Wars fan and a Star Trek fan. I haven't watched Picard. I've been meaning to, but uh, I'll get there one day. But yeah, like Next Gen was, you know, as a kid in the late eighties and the nineties, TV was like really good. We had X Files, we had Star Trek sightings with cool shit for sci-fi uh then you know so and arguably i mean in my opinion tv show wise next generation the proof's in the pudding it lasted what nine seasons og was three mate four i can't remember mm-hmm. deep space nine i think lasted five or six voyager was five or six you know so the tv shows are really good uh, especially next generation i mean i mean come on let's be honest i mean who do you prefer trey kirk or picard picard every damn day of the week you know, yeah. now, of course, the OG crew is iconic, but, you know, okay, so, so you got it up here. Next Generation was what? Seven? seven. I thought it was more than, oh, wow. So in Voyager was seven. Too. Wait, Deep Space Nine was seven? Yeah. Wow. It looks like they all stopped at seven. Voyager Why seven. is that? Yeah. <laughs> like, we're done. I could have sworn Next Gen had nine seasons, though. God, I was way off. OG was three. Animated series had two. But yeah, Star Trek The Next Generation is pretty much what revitalized the franchise. Because with, with, with this, you know, Voyage Home was well-received in 86 when it came out. This one was, this movie came out around season two of The Next Gen. So it was bringing in some old fans and some new fans. And it was, it's, it's neither, you know. But honestly, like this, this movie, I guess you probably could have cut it down to 30 minutes or 40 minutes and made it an episode of the TV show. Mm. which is ironic sort of because they did some of these scenes are filmed on the sets of the next generation 
like the long hallways that they walk in through, that's all next generation sets yeah. uh, that were being used at the time to film Star Trek, the next generation, <laughs> arguably the best iteration of Star Trek, you know, place your bets. Uh, so yeah, if, uh, I guess the, the bottom line for this is if you like Star Trek, you probably already seen it. Uh, but you know, despite, I, I guess I need to get a little more into my explanation of why I like it uh, before I move on. But I really, honestly, I don't, I think I just, as a kid, I understood what they were going for. And I can kind of put the pieces together to where I enjoyed it because I enjoyed the humor as a child. I enjoyed just the relationship of the crew uh, and just the, you know, the idea of like, oh, they're going to look for God. That's so like, that's crazy. That's, you know, wow. And oh, and, and, and then Kurt, you know, like to me, that's one of, the, one of the best moments of the OG trilogy. I'm sorry, OG Cruise movies is where he's like, excuse me, what does God need with a starship? Cause like, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's exactly what that character would do. It's a great moment. Uh, and really sums up the you know, to me. It's almost like they had that moment in mind and then wrote around that. I guess I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I personally and I'm, I'm going to rank every Star Trek movie when we get to the end of this podcast. So stick around for that controversy. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I, I have a very soft spot in my heart for this movie, warts and all. I think it could have could have been one of the best, but uh, didn't quite get there for a variety of reasons. But I do think it's uh, unfairly criticized, criticized a little too heavily. I mean, I see the I see the criticism. I, I agree with 99% of them. Uh, but you know, as we as I'll get into the trivia right now, you too might be a little more forgiving, and so will you know any other band of the 80s. Ha <laughs> ha, bad joke. I get it. Anyway, this film came out like I said, it's June 9th, 1989. The summer of 89 was huge. To quote a disgraced former president, you had Batman. Indian Jones and Last Crusade, License to Kill, Lethal Weapon 2, and Ghostbusters 2. So the mo- summer movie season of 89 was fucking stacked uh, with heavy, heavy hitters. I mean, Batman, Indian Jones, Last Crusade, two of the greatest movies ever made, as far as I'm mm-hmm. concerned. And Lethal Weapon 2 and Ghostbusters 2, two of the greatest sequels ever made, in my opinion. License to Kill. Uh, we'll be getting to that very soon with Bond Month. <laughs> I promise. I promise <laughs> we're going to get to Bond Month. Uh, that was one of my favorite bonds growing up as a kid. So more on that in a few months, but yeah, it opened during a stack season. So the box office return wasn't what it would have been had it opened maybe in the winter or another time during the year. And according to William Shatner, the, uh, the main theme of the, an element elements of the plot were based were in, or it's not based, but inspired by the televangelist movement of the late 1980s, which you can totally see that in the movie. And it's definitely, you know, the televangelist movement of the 80s because they're not making people drink cyanide-laced flavor aid. Mm. It doesn't go that extreme, although he's willing to risk all their lives to go through the Great Barrier. Uh, but it's definitely more preachy uh, televangelist kind of stuff that uh, paralleling in my personal watching, we're watching the Righteous Gemstones right now. It's, it's, it's right there with that, you know. Uh, but yeah, and uh, during the, like I, when I was talking about the cast, I mentioned you heard us uh, seeing a little more of Nicole, uh, Nichelle Nichols than I ever thought I would in a 1989 Star Trek movie. That actually came about because the screenwriter jokingly proposed to have her appear as an erotic dancer in order to lure away the hostage takers from the Paradise compound. And he was legit shocked when the producer said, "Yeah, go ahead, right away." They want they love the idea from the get go of having that, and it is. It's weird. It's just like you, you're in the future. You're that far in the future. And that, that's, that's what, tech, you know, I guess that's also one of my complaints about Star Trek is that uh, you're so far in the future. You got, you got a hollow deck for Christ's sake. And then it's always, it's always these low fi It's either a low fi solution that MacGyver could do in modern times, or it's something that's just 
pseudoscience blabble. Like all the like I did it last episode, you know, like the oh the if we if we reverse polarity of the warp core as we invert the singularity of the black hole as we're orbiting around the third moon from the sun, and then we we cut our life support and shift it to the rear shields, it should propel us far enough to go back in time. Bullshit like that that makes no sense. That's just meant to you know in some <laughs> I think MacGuffin might be the wrong word there, but it's just a plot device to like we need to get from A to B. I can't think of anything, so we're gonna have pseudoscience babble uh, mm. to get us there. Or it's like, Captain, what about using a paperclip to bridge the electrical circuit between the two things? Scott, Spock, that's brilliant, Scott. <laughs> that's the parody version of Star Trek. It's just Scott instead of Spock. Uh, you know, so it's either, a, that's, uh, it, it happens too much. And honestly, and one of the biggest complaints about this film too is the broken ship trope. How like, oh, sir, we're on shore leave and the Enterprise is just Scotty is the only one fixing this massive ship with over 50 decks. <laughs> and only Scotty's the one working on everything. Now, granted, he's the best mechanic in Starfleet, you know, as far as we know. Maybe, you know, uh, so, but it's just like, oh, er everything's broken, Captain. You know, it's like, and it's it's such a, a, a lazy, again, going back to the writing. I guess that's a good reason for why, like, uh, this movie had a great idea, bad implementation, lazy writing. Uh, you know, oh, well, uh, we can't beam them up because the tra transporter's broken oh i fixed it i can get two of you great scotty bring up bring beam up mccoy and spock now Aye, sir beams him up and then oh klingon shoot a torpedo and where does it hit the transporter room oh captain i can't beam you up now because in that brief two second window the klingon shot a torpedo that hit us directly where the transporter was you know it's, it's just so it's just elementary writing to like get you know there's there's it was just i don't know i, that's, <laughs> I think that's where you know we're, we're talking through my trauma of this movie uh, we're getting to like some of the, the reasons uh, there, but yeah. So I guess in hindsight, you know, I'd rather them have uh, the striptease plot point than the ship be broken plot point, to be honest, because at least that was different. <laughs> uh, and uh, Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry himself actually took personal offense to Shatner's concept of the crew meeting God because he had pushed his own concept of Kirk, Spock, and the crew meeting God years before, only to have his various iterations of how this should happen, such as uh, God is a broken spaceship. These are just some of Gene Roddenberry's ideas. God is an alien. Kirk kills God. The Enterprise crew become gods. All these were rejected by Paramount Studios. And that further distance Roddenberry from the movie series, which he often derided in interviews all the way until he passed away. As I mentioned, Shatner's cut ran slightly over two hours, not including the ending credits. So, uh, you know, it's probably a two-hour, 15-minute movie. So it's about 30 minutes of film is missing from this movie. Uh, Paramount thought it was too long because they wanted their target runtime to be one hour and 45 minutes. Why did they want one hour and 45 minutes? Because that would guarantee at the time two uh, theatrical showings a night per screen. Uh, and then the editor had to you know, uh... cut the film down. Shatner hated it. He hated the edit. They argued over what parts to restore and delete. So... Again, could that could it have helped the movie to have that length of a cut? I think so, but let's be devil's advocate. It also could have greatly hurt it as well if it was more of the same of the stuff that we see. Let's be honest. Uh, according to George Takei, uh, despite pressure to complete the film on time, Shatner uh, was really like he, he really had Takei, Takei and uh, Shatner had a big beef. Like just you know, George Takei didn't like Shatner's ego, and which. Chatner had. I mean, let's be honest. There's numerous stories about it, uh, and you know they had a, a very strained personal history to quote Takei. But he found working with Bill 
uh, as a director to be really fun and pleasant. So uh, very interesting, you know, different, uh, different work environment, I guess, brings out different sides of people, I guess, when you're, you know, not just an actor, you're a director too, who knows. Uh, but stuntman Kenny Bates is credited in this film for the highest descender fall in the U.S. when he stood in for William Shatner's fall from El Capitan in that myriad of real rock climbing montage with fiberglass rock five feet off the ground with horrible green screen and then the large, the highest descender fall in the United States. So, yeah, that opening rock climbing sequence is a, a montage of every degree of <laughs> professional and amateur <laughs> filmmaking all in one uh, sequence there. Now, one reason the effects look like shit in this movie, ILM, who had did effects for the previous three films, which all look pretty great, let's be honest, uh, for the most part, uh, they couldn't work on this one. Why? Because it's the summer of 89, dude, and they were working on Indiana Jones 3 and Ghostbusters 2. Mm. They ain't got time for your Star Trek movie. This is the house Lucas built. Y'all handle it. Uh, so that's why the effects weren't quite... What's one reason the effects weren't quite up to snuff? Uh, I had another note on that. I didn't put them in the right order, so I'll get... I'll get to it and I'll get to it shortly. So just keep a pin in that as uh, when I get to reason two, why the effects were not quite as good as they should be. Oh, here it is. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. The, the company, the visual effects company that did the work was associates and Farron, which is a very unusual <laughs> name for a effects like company. A attorney's office. Exactly. <laughs> like, uh, are you sure that's not your accountants? Uh, sir, we're the accountants. Shatner's like, no, you're going to do these effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yes, Mr. Shatner, I guess we can figure something out. And it looks like their children did it and, you know, whatever. But uh, anyway, they only had three months to complete the effects work, work, which was around half the usual time frame for a film of this magnitude, which is another reason why the effects look <laughs> uh, laughable. So, you know, there is, you know, an excuse is an excuse. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, when you're a filmmaker, and if you, you know, I would hope that if you've listened to this podcast, you also listen to commentaries. You kind of know a bit about filmmaking just through learning and stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, that things don't always go to plan and some you know, corners have, I mean, it's a bit, movie making is a business. You have to remember that it's a business. So some, and corners get cut sometimes like in fight scenes, like we're watching right now, Jesse on your screen where they're storming and it's just a, a power hug match between Kirk and one of the uh, cultists so to speak. Again, visual joke on audio podcast. I apologize. Uh, so yeah, so that's one reason the effects are very subpar. Although this is badass. Spock Vulcan neck pinches a horse. Is it silly? Yes. Is it also awesome at the same time? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, now, the opening of this scene, of course, you have, it starts off with real footage of a climber free soloing, at least I can tell, unless they took out the ropes. El Capitan, or at least parts of El Capitan, which if you like mountain climbing, highly recommend the documentary Free Solo about the first true free solo of El Capitan. Free Solo is when you pretty much climb a mountain with nothing, just your hands and your feet. So that's uh, that's what that documentary is about. It's very good. Sorry for the noise a little bit earlier. We got it sorted out. Anyway, uh, in the opening again, the like I mentioned the montage with the fall and everything a few seconds ago and the effects... Uh, when you see Spock talking to William Shatner, it's it's blatantly obvious he's not on a rock wall. It's shiny and fake is the word I'm looking <laughs> for because uh, uh, El Capitan is granite. So uh, it doesn't look shiny nor wet. It's as not it does painted. There. It was fiberglass. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. Painted. That's a good one. Uh, yeah, so they actually they did film it in Yosemite, but they did it in a parking lot. 
And if you watch that scene again, you see a in the pretty much almost in the middle of the frame, that is the actual El Capitan, the backside of it. I want to say uh, that he's that's the mount he's supposed to be on right now. Mm-hmm. And when they did when they do the fall, that's that's what he, the dude's fallen from. And also uh, the free soloing stuff earlier is uh, all actually on El Capitan from to my knowledge, from my research which there isn't any research. I'm just assuming since they're all now Capitan, the dude's dressed like that and he's falling off of it. Why would they not just use the same one? I did the stuff there. So anyway, uh, but yeah, just that opening is just crazy uh, in terms of effects. Uh, but uh, this here's a, a fun little in-joke. Now, there's a, there's a note when they kind of have a little cantina scene when uh, they show it at first when the uh, Romulan ambassador and her... Uh, Super high pony and Ariana Grande high pony and shiny suit mm. walk in. Uh, where they're, they're playing pool on water and they got like a dancer on the table, a, a cat dancer. Well, uh, the fe- or she's, uh, it's quote a felinoid or felinoid exotic dancer. Uh, this movie needs to be remembered for something because to- Total Recall comes out a year later, 1990. And what is one thing that a lot of red blooded American males remember about the movie Total Recall? Oh, it's got the chick with three tits. Yeah. Correct. However, the felinoid in this movie also has three breasts, and it predates Total Recall. So, now, of course, the felinoid didn't show her breasts like in Total Recall. But uh, so maybe that's why it's not quite as remembered. But, yeah, anyway, uh, when she – and the, the next time they show – God, that a green screen is so bad. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. But the fall looks great. The actual fall is great. Uh, you know, so it's a damn shame. But anyway, uh, when they when Kirk fights her, uh, it's a stunt. I thought I put her name. Uh, Linda Fetters Howard is her name. Stunt performer. Uh, she wore airbrush makeup that covered most of her body, prosthetic claws on her hands and feet, a wig, clip-on tail made of human hair, contacts, uh, false bosoms, and a full face mask. It took about six hours to put her in that. Fifty-three seconds of screen time. Wow. Uh, but when she first attacks him. Uh, there's a sound effect montage that uses uh, that sh- that's supposed to be her voice that is actually uh, part of James Brown's uh, scream from the beginning of I feel good. Yeah, that kind of it's in there somewhere. I don't know why. I just thought that was interesting. I didn't hear it. Maybe somebody more musically inclined than me could definitely hear it, but I didn't hear it. But I thought that was funny nonetheless. I mean, the, the main thing the main thing to gather from that is the three breasts appeared in this before. Uh, a three-breasted alien appeared in Star Trek V one year before it did in Total Recall. She did in Total Recall. We definitely know it's a she. Well, I assume. I, mean, I shouldn't assume the gender in Total Recall. Hmm. Uh, that would be inappropriate, especially in a futuristic movie, because you know, hopefully by then people have accepted that and don't get so like hung up on what people want to call themselves, because that's none of your business. It's theirs, and you should respect other people. Anyway, step down off my little soapbox. Uh, the space probe <laughs> that was destroyed by the Klingon, Klingon uh, Bird of Prey was the Pioneer 10 space probe. It was actually launched in 72, and it was the first space probe to pass by and take a picture of Jupiter. Uh, it's currently headed toward the star of Aldebaran. I thought it said Aldebaran the first time I read it, uh, which it'll reach just about in the short distance, a uh, short time of 2 million years. But that doesn't matter, A, because we'll all be dead. The Earth will probably be dead. Who knows? Uh, but radio contact with the probe was actually lost in 2003 when its communication system's power source failed. So Commander Claw was actually doing us a favor and just destroying of our space junk that we sent out when he shot it in this film. Oh, this is pretty funny. Of course, Cybok is looking for the planet Shakari, where apparently multiple different 
alien species believe God lives. Uh, but that's actually a play on words for the original actor who was asked to play Cybok in the movie, Sir Sean Connery. So, Shakari. Sean Connery. Oh. You get it. Anyway. Uh, super uh, uh, popular and, in my opinion, pretentious nerd character or nerd actor, Will Wheaton, uh, sneaked onto the set of this while filming The Next Generation to meet his idol, William Shatner. And he was deeply hurt and disappointed when Shatner was rude to him. Uh, Gene Roddenberry found out about it, spoke to Shatner about Wheaton, and Shatner apologized to Wheaton, Wheaton by sending him a card which told him that he is a fine young actor and that he would be honored to have him visit his Enterprise set any day. No word on <laughs> if he ever went back. That was just something IMDb. Now, I, didn't, I did not dislike Wesley Crusher in The Next Generation, I don't like modern Will Wheaton. <laughs> Take away my nerd card, geek card, whatever you want to do. I just, I, it just it come, he just comes across as like, I, I don't know. He rubs me the wrong way. Like, I don't know. That's just, again, just my opinion. He's, hey, he, he's got more money than I'll ever see. And that's awesome for him. I just don't care for him. He was great <laughs> in Stand By Me in TNG. But uh, I don't know. Just I don't know, something, something just doesn't go right with me when i see him on like interviewing or when he's doing the narration for uh an app companion app to a board game series uh you know what i'm talking about jesse i'm sure you you can talk to him at your local comic book convention someday yeah, <laughs> yeah. i'll skip that table yeah. okay nothing personal i just I don't, I don't care for the content he puts out you know so nothing wrong with that uh this is the only star trek film to win or even be nominated for a Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Picture. Uh, more on that in a little bit when I talk about the Razzies for the year uh, related to this movie, because it won a couple. And by a couple, I mean a few, because it won three. Um, mm. The Enterprise D quarter sets from The Next Generation, as I mentioned earlier, were actually used as corridors in this film. Very few cosmetic alterations were made, so as not to interfere with the filming of the television series, which season two was underway at the same time. Which It really blows my mind, honestly, how there, there was no like group photo of the next generation crew and the OG crew between the filming of it. You know, it seems like that would be some today. No, they wouldn't never, they would never have missed that opportunity to have something like that for posterity. So it seems odd that, to me, they wouldn't do it at the time. Uh, now here's like at now when this, again, this movie came out in 89. So a rich, when it came out, it wasn't necessarily panned like it was, uh, or is today, I should say, because initially Shatner believed the film would get a positive response in the morning after opening night. Uh, uh, the Los Angeles Times gave the film a positive review. Local television also gave it a good review. And he recalled that he incorrectly began, quote, sensing a positive trend. He later agreed that the film nearly ended the movie franchise and looking back on the film together, called it, quote, a failed but glorious attempt, end quote, at a thought-provoking film that did not come together. And honestly, to me, that's a bullseye, absolute bullseye uh, in terms of uh, this film. Uh, and... Uh, Takei also said, uh, he, he, but uh, kind of different, he expected it to be a disappointment because to him, quote, the script seemed rather a muddle, as if three separately interesting stories four sealed together into one, end quote, which made also, excuse me, unquote, un -end quote, un -end quote, made for a confusing and ultimately tiresome two hours, end quote. Tiresome, I didn't find it as tiresome as them trying to save the goddamn whales in the last movie. Uh, hmm. But you know, I, I, I you can definitely see how there is like, cause you got the broken ship trope. Oh, the ship's not working. We can't do this. You got a Klingon after us. Oh, we got this hostage situation. Oh, we got to go find God too. It is a lot, but yeah. Uh, so I don't disagree with Takei there either, but I think Shatner, obviously, cause he's the director and star 
hit it on the head when he said it's a fail, but a glorious attempt at a thought-provoking film that did not come together. I think that pretty much sums up this film uh, pretty decently, uh, much better and concisely than I did for the, the 10 minutes earlier in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, for all you Star Trekker, I, mean, I can't call you nerds, even though yeah, people understand, nerds are like, nerd and geek are like cool words now. You know, that's not like derogatory words anymore. But uh, for all the Trekkies and I guess uh, the Trekkers, or Trek, no, Trekker, now, I, I, one of them is for like was for like the next generation kind of, and the other one was for the OG series. I'm not sure which one it was. I think Trekkies is like the OG, or just in general. Maybe maybe they've gone back to just one. I don't know. There was some like differentiation I always heard between a Trekker and a Trekkie, and he's looking it up right now. So, <laughs> bail me out of this. So Trekkie is derogatory. Trekker is not derogatory, apparently. Trekkie is a fan that has oh. lost touch with reality. A Trekker enjoys being a fan, but still has both feet here in the real world. Okay, wow. Well, that's interesting. I, learned, I, hope I learned something just now. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, when I was younger, it seemed like, you know, Trekkie was somebody who liked Star Trek, the OG series, and the OG crew, and then a Trekker was like a new fan that liked The Next Generation. But apparently mm-hmm. Trekkie is a derogatory word, so everybody is a Trekker. So if I used that incorrectly last episode and you took offense to it, I apologize because that was <laughs> ignorance. And as we've talked about before on this podcast, ignorance is okay as long as you learn from it. So I have now learned that I will never use the term Trekkie again. Uh, so yeah, so for all the Trekkers out there, uh, according to the Q Continuum novel trilogy, quote unquote, God was actually an energy being based, uh, energy based being known as the one. Uh, not that, not Neo, uh, that traveled through the Guardian of Forever into the Milky Way galaxy by another near omnipotent and equally malevolent entity known only as Zero. After being defeated in a heated battle with the Q Continuum, the One was locked away in a prison of the Q's making at the center of the Milky Way behind the Great Barrier after being reduced to a head until he atoned for his transgressions against the con- uh, Continuum or the heat death of the universe, quote, whichever came first, end quote. The same conflict, according to the novel trilogy, also resulted in the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs hitting Earth after being knocked off course and going through a tear in space-time. So, in a roundabout way, based on the Q Continuum novel trilogy, the god, quote-unquote god they visit in this movie, actually sort of did create us <laughs> because mm. it, it's imprisonment called the cause the uh, meteorite to hit the Earth, extinction of the dinosaurs, rise of the mammals. So, uh... I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Take it from there, Trekkers. Uh, I mentioned the Razzies. This one Razzies for Worst Picture, which it beat Karate Kid 3 and Roadhouse, which Roadhouse should not have been nominated. I don't think this movie should have been nominated, but Karate Kid 3, ugh, I remember watching that movie, renting it. I, didn't, I saw one and two at the theater, did not see three. And I remember renting it and just being like, what is this? This is terrible. Like, this is terrible. Haven't seen it since then. Could be wrong. I have to uh, revisit it eventually. I'm not sure what year it came out, so it might not be a podcast appropriate one. But uh, yeah, so it won this one, the Razzie for Worst Picture. Don't think it was the Worst Picture of the Year. Uh, it won for Worst Director. Uh, maybe, I don't know. And Actor. William Shatner won, be- be- won Worst Actor for this. And he beat Tony Danza, who was nominated for a movie. Wow. So uh, I think that's a bit unfair to the face of Michael Myers and Captain Kirk himself. Because uh, Tony Danza was nominated, and he he beat Tony Danza at being a bad actor. You know, Shatner is a I don't think he's a bad actor, but he's definitely a uh, a known for actor, a one trick pony actor. I guess I don't know. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah. Uh, but I got all, you know, I mean, he's his he, in his younger days, he was very uh, you know egotistical and all that. We all know that. But like uh, watching him on that, there was a show where him and Terry Bradshaw and there was a bunch of old uh, guys went on like trips around the world. But it was like famous oh, guys. Yeah, yeah. And it was really funny, and he was really great on. Like I had a new like I, I had a new respect and love for him after that show because he was very you know, kind of nothing like I'd heard of. But of course, he was you know used to be different in the past. Uh, but yeah, no way. I mean, Tony Danza should have got the Razzie. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Uh, Heather Locklear won that year for a deserved Razzie, one of the probably one of the most deserving Razzies in history for her role in the film we covered a couple weeks ago, Return of Swamp Thing. Uh, and interestingly enough, Kurt Russell was nominated for Worst Supporting Triss for his drag part in uh, Tango and Cash, where he wears the disguise. Uh, thankfully, he lost because... Kurt Russell could play a piece of shit and still knock it out of the park because he's one of the greatest actors of all time. And further promoting my point of what I'm getting at is that the Razzies are just for attention, which they yeah, are. They're fun. Don't get me wrong. I love the Razzies. Uh, but Pet Cemetery, not the movie, but the song by the Ramones was nominated for Worst Song. No fucking way. That song is amazing. Uh, I forgot what. Uh, it was a song from Nightmare 5 that beat it. Uh, but yeah, Pet Cemetery by the Ramones should not even have been nominated because that song is great so yeah that's all the trivia we got there's a lot more but that was i tried to pick out the interesting things or stuff that i thought was interesting at least score wise uh last one i think i gave a five this one i like it better i give it a seven i still i still in you know now take out the nostalgia it's a six maybe even a five take out uh you know if you judge it strictly on its technical merits it'd be much lower than that i'll be perfectly honest with you but my personal score for this one in terms of star trek movies is a seven i love this as a kid i watched it a lot i did enjoy it this time but i i did see a lot more of the faults and again i understand completely why people don't like this one but i do and that's the bottom line because mm-hmm. trade cold podcasted so uh, this came out June 9th, 1989, as I mentioned, in the real world. A day before, on June 8th, the wreck of the German battleship Bismarck, which was sunk in 1941 during World War II, was found 600 miles west of Brest. Mm. Uh, B-R-E-S-T, France. I, don't, I would assume it's pronounced Brest or Brest. Uh, uh, Brest, Brest. I don't know. It must be. Just say the word Brest in French, and that's how you pronounce it, I'm guessing. So no offense to any uh, French speakers out there. No, but it's spelled like the word breast. So there you go. Uh, and then uh, six days earlier, actress Imogen Poots. Good actress, <laughs> terrible last name. Like, you know, you hear all these actors that change their name when they become famous. This is an actress who absolutely should have changed her last <laughs> name. Her last name is Poots. I thought, like, when I first saw, like, her, like, in the credits, like, who was, who, what character was that? Like, who, what actress would have that? No shade, no tea. I mean, all shade, all tea, no shade. You're, you know, change your name. <laughs> your name in a, you know, it's like basically saying that you're pooting. <laughs> Imogen Boots. Love the first name. Pretty, pretty first name. Again, I'm just teasing. But she's a great actress. She was in um, 28 Weeks Later, I believe. But she was also in the Fright Night remake. Uh, she was in Green Room with the late, great Anton Yelchin. And also a movie that maybe not hate Jesse Eisenberg, uh, Vivarium. A very interesting, I like you know, one kind of a one watch you're done movie. Uh, if you haven't seen it and you're looking for a good kind of like uh, trippy mindfuck movie, check out Vivarium with uh, Imogen Poots, uh, great actress, bad last name, and uh, Jesse Eisenberg. Hmm. Uh, I just started watching her in Outer Range, 
Uh, it's a new series. Oh, is that, is that, yeah, is that show any good? Because I've seen like I think Bro, uh, I've seen the ad with or the Thanos. poster with Brolin in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, is it any good? Is it like is oh, it like yeah. sci-fi inspired? It's or? Only okay. two. Ep- I'm only two episodes deep because that's all that's out right now. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's shaping up to be uh, kind of a trippy type of uh, show. Oh. Yeah. Oh, but her name's Autumn. So Western I, sci-fi. But, an untapped genre that's very under under Well, I mean, views, Will so. Smith did it a little while ago, but yeah. <laughs> what, the, wait, what wiki, are you referring wiki, to? Wiki, wiki, wild, wild. Oh. oh, yeah. You mean that was that's steampunk West, not sci-fi Good point. West. Good point. Good point. So <laughs> I would say there's a difference. <laughs> But uh, what uh, what uh, what uh, I would say channel. I would, instead, I would say what streaming service is it available on, Jesse? <laughs> Amazon Prime. Oh, perfect! Everybody, everybody should go have Prime. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, so. it's a pretty popular. Uh, definitely check that out. Definitely because I saw an ad for it. And I was like, okay, this. Hmm. Yeah, I it's no it, secret. So. I mean, what it's about based on the poster. Um, you know, Josh Brolin owns this huge tract of land, and he finds this mysterious hole. That he could throw things in and it just vanishes. And when he sticks his hand in, like his skin starts turning colors and stuff like that. And there's a lot of unanswered questions, only two episodes deep. But, uh, uh, so yeah. let's hope it doesn't fall apart at the end. <laughs> yeah, let's hope so. <laughs> you know, but right now it's sitting uh, it at uh, like a, 8 point, oh, a 7.8 on IMDb. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah. Like Brolin, like Imogen. I'm just going to call her a first name. She should do a Zendaya thing and just go by her first name, just Imogen. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I checked that out. I got definitely interested. But uh, it's funny because that, that, that plot is an episode of Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell because there was this recurring guest named Mel. And he claimed to have a hole in his backyard that was bottomless. That he like, yeah. you know, threw thousands of feet of fishing line in and never hit a bo- never found the bottom. So uh, <laughs> kind of a, a Coast to Coast inspired uh, seed of a story there. Oh, and Will Patton's in it too. Yeah. Awesome. And the hole the has like some trippy stuff going on in it too. It doesn't just like, like gravity loses effect as soon as it enters the hole and stuff like that. So hmm. he sees things like slowly float down almost like water, but interesting. Yeah. I want to check it out. That's, that's right up my alley mm-hmm. to quote John Hammond. Uh, back to the future this week. Haven't seen anything. Although the Batman has hit streaming. So next yep. week, I'll let you know what I think of the Batman. Finally, same. Uh, as long as you set aside three hours to see it, yes, yeah, <laughs> it's it's long. Uh, but I've heard some people say it's too long. Some people say they wanted more. So we'll find find out what we think next week on Eighties Revisited. But uh, did start this past week. I did start Elden Ring. I know a lot of people have been playing it since it came out. But I had to finish Horizon Forbidden West first <laughs> before I started Elden Ring. And uh, I never played the Dark Souls series. Uh, I did play Bloodborne. Which I love, and this is kind of like a medieval Bloodborne. You know, people, oh, it's too fucking hard. Well, you got to get good. I mean, <laughs> uh, it's great so far. The the visuals, the uh, creature design, and just this world—it's very grim, dark. Yeah, but it's it's very very cool, very fun. Uh, you know, if you die, there's a reason. It's not like you know Mortal Kombat two at the arcade where it, the the game literally is programmed to cheat and beat you. It's Pretty much, you know, you got to get good, or you might need to go level up, or you know, you you, you bet you fucked up the pattern. Uh, but yeah, it's not it's a game. It's not a game for everybody. If you get mad easy, don't get it, because uh, you are, there are going to be times where you're going to be at a boss for an hour and a half till you finally beat it. You know, uh, and again, I'm very early in the game. I mean, it, it humbles you right in the first area. 
<laughs> don't get me wrong, but it's a great game. Loving it so far. Looking forward to it. Our friend Justin uh, has already beaten me like three or four times. Mm. So uh, he's super into it. He's been giving me some tips uh, and everything. So really fun game. Really enjoying it. Yeah, uh, Jesse, you're hard games. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's that's it. And I just, that boss right there watching the trailer. I just beat that boss barely. Mm. <laughs> Second boss of the game. Uh, but yeah, anyway, uh, anything new that uh, aside from out of range, I guess Jesse, that uh, you had to got to see play or anything this past um, week? Um, I decided to go back and watch an old WrestleMania. I watched WrestleMania 17, which came oh, out in 2001. Well, what was the reason that you went back to watch it? Uh, I wanted to see a good Stone Cold match. I said, what, which WrestleMania ah. was a Stone Cold match? So, but I watched the whole thing. And eventually it turned into, who's still alive? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> because That's every bad. match, one of them was dead. <laughs> wow. It, it was just like, not every match, but, you know, many yeah. of them didn't have careers anymore. But uh, mm-hmm. funny enough, yeah, a lot of legendary people still in 2001. This was right as WWF bought WCW. That was part of the storyline still. Oh, but, okay. So, yeah, they had a loaded roster. And, um, yeah, it was a good show. My favorite match was uh-huh. probably the tag team match. Um, l- tables, ladders, and chairs with the Hardys, Edge and Christian, oh, yeah. and the Dudley Boys. Absolutely. Yeah. Was that the first one or the second one? Because they had t- I want to say mm. that those that, uh, that I was going to say trio, but that trio of tag teams. I want to say that they had one. They had one match. I was at the TLC, and it was so amazing. They had another yeah. one, but it was the, the second one. I think, if I remember correctly, and again, I'm not sure which one is which. But it was like the better one. I think, I think this was, was before TLC where... was a pay per view in itself, because they never mentioned like they're coming back together again. So this must have been the first one. Because hmm. uh, I want to say the the first match was such a big deal and so incredible that it led to the TLC pay per view. Yeah, I don't, I'm not surprised. It was the highlight of the whole show. Was but, this the match? Because, like I said, there's been a couple. Was this? Was that the one where they did the uh, the uh, fulcrum ladder thing, where like you jumped on the ladder and it, the back end popped up and hit him in the face and cleared the ring? And no, I don't think that was the one. I don't think that okay. was the one. Might, they just did a again, lot there's, there's, of cool other stuff. <laughs> cool spots. Was this the yeah. one that ended where Edge speared him off the belt? Yes, that did happen. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, any, if, I, I take a tag team match with the Hardys and Edge and Christian in that time frame. It, you're guaranteed it's going to be a, a good yeah. match. Yeah. I, I mean, at that time, I mean, that's, that's prime tag team, like right there. And they brought the Dudleys in and all that. Of course, not the most technical, but you know, when you got six men in the ring or six people involved, it's the spots you can lead up to are much bigger. Well, it's also so, no DQ. But, uh, so eventually a bunch of other people just start coming in the ring. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> like exactly. Rhino showed up and started fighting with Edge and Christian. Uh, that other deadly uh, Spike. Oh, Spike showed up. And he started doing stuff. Uh, Lita showed up and started helping the Hardys. It was just like, yeah, everyone started showing up and helping out. Oh wow! Uh, who did Stone Cold fight? Stone Cold fought The Rock. Wait, was that was that his last? Was that what, was that? Uh, sorry, was that Stone Cold's last match? No, it wasn't. In fact, I, I didn't want to watch his last match because I knew. Who would win? Uh, yeah, while I was watching the whole thing, I mean, it's just as enjoyable because I had no idea who was going to win all these matches. It was really nostalgic, too, because I was like, I didn't even know some of these people made it to WWE. Like, Raven oh, wow. was in it. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Raven was in WWE before WW, WCW because he was like a polo Johnny something character. Yeah, but he was like his what about he, Raven character and yeah in a hardcore match. <laughs> no, he, Raven. He, yeah. <laughs> but he yeah he did a um, hardcore match with uh, Big Show and Kane. Oh wow! But yeah, that that was the that was another good pretty good match. Um, but spoiler alert: this is that's the WrestleMania where uh, where Stone Cold beats The Rock, right? Correct, and kind of has I think a they were one in... has a McMahon uh, interruption. Oh, okay. I think I remember because the last match is when he, you know, that's that really amazing. If you know the kayfabe and all that, kayfabe. I always want to say kayfabe <laughs> for some reason. Like it's more, a more elegant word than it really is, but kayfabe. <laughs> uh, you know, where uh, I think it's the next because I think The Rock and Stone Cold fought three times out of paper, if I remember correctly, and I think it might have been Stone Cold one the first two and then the last one or it might have been one and one. I think it was the rock the retired him, Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's the match where, uh, he's laying in the ring and like the camera cuts, you could see the rock, like talking to stone cold and then it cuts away. But like, you know, you, if, if, if you don't, if a wrestler fan, YouTube the rock talking about stone cold's last match, he's like, cause you know, it's, it's very Spartan. The mentality of wrestling is very Spartan. You know, you come in, mm-hmm. you know, an old, uh, 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 you know, if you're going to make it an established guy's going to put you over, yeah. And then you're going to go out on your back. You're going to go out losing. Like, Unless to you're put the somebody Undertaker. Else over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it seems like. Uh, he won his last match. So, yeah. But, uh, I mean, that wasn't even supposed to be his retirement match. So, yeah. You know? But, uh, the, uh, but you know, with Stone Cold and The Rock, like, because they were such good friends and, like, The Rock, like, it's, it's, it's so, it's such a beautiful, like, story of wrestling, you know, and that's one of the reasons I love wrestling is for that, like the brotherhood and sisterhood that those athletes have were like, you know, Stone Cold was, you know, WCW had to have the NWO and Sting to like compete with WWF at the time. Mm. WWF just had to have Stone Cold Steve Austin and and had to have Shawn Michaels too. Don't get me, I'm not discounting anybody else on the, on the roster, but Stone Cold was a, it was a Stone Cold show. You know, of course, you had the rock. You had, you had other good ones, but I mean, the big thing. I mean, it, he was still one of the most popular wrestlers of all time. Period. Yeah. You know, so not to again, not taking anything away from anybody else on the uh, roster of WWF back then. Uh, but I mean, like, it was it was all about Stone Cold for uh, several years back then but i mean again he was only good as villain even though stone cold was the villain he was the hero and the villain but we got the mcmahon character you know that was thanks to bret hart you know bret screwed bret uh and then of course you know one of the best heels of all time Shawn michaels uh at that stage uh but yeah but uh with the rock just basically telling to back to that story sorry uh you know basically saying thank you so much you're my best friend and i love you like i mean just the, yeah. the respect that they had for each other you know, in Stone, Stone Cold, if you listen to Stone Cold podcast, you know, they were just doing some business. They're going around. We're going to do some business. I'm yeah. going to show up in Arlington, in Dallas. I'm going to do some business. Uh, he always, he always says, he does he always, say that. You know, yeah, he does it a lot. I love it. You know, I'm, not, I'm not talking smack, Stone Cold. Uh, yeah, but uh, that's that's so much. I, I love I love doing that though. Occasionally, you know, going back and watching like the old pay per views to where like you have a vague memory, but you don't remember exactly. So it's almost like watching it again. Like for the first time, like, oh, I forgot about this. I think, oh, gosh, I don't remember who, oh, God, what's, you know. So that's always really fun. You said that was, uh, you said it was 17? Yeah, 17. And they had a uh, gimmick battle royal 
where they brought back all these legends, and that really became a Who's Still Alive thing. Because <laughs> oh, wow. it, I mean, it the entrances took so long. Like, you know, uh, Mean Gene walks out first. He's he's gone. Then Bobby yeah. Brain comes out. He's gone. And yeah. then, and then pretty much everyone who comes after that. Well, I think the Bushwhackers are still alive. Bushwhackers right? are. I think so. I don't recall changed. seeing an in memoriam. Yeah. And then some of these guys are only like 60 years old right now. They're not that, not super old. Um, Sheik's still around Sheik's talking still, shit about Hogan. Oh, yeah. He's talking smack on Twitter all the time. But, uh, yeah, a lot of these people are just dead. Earthquake's <laughs> dead. Shockmaster. Yeah. Oh, he was Shockmaster? It was Earthquake or Typhoon. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. I remember. It was one of them. <laughs> he, Earthquake looks like Earthquake. the guy who played him. So, yeah, that's, that's probably yeah. true. Who's Doink's Wayne dead, Gretzky? Right? No, no, no. Doink's oh, Doink. Well, which Doink? Because there's like five Doinks. Yeah, no, so, yeah. Which one? He was like the original Sin Cara. I was, I was Googling these guys as they were coming out just to see. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure. I want to say Doink's dead. But I mean, yeah, like you said, uh, this guy's dead. Uh, Kamala. Oh, Kamala, yeah. yeah. Um, which I hear his figurine is actually like the most valuable one. Which is very wow. strange. Yeah. Interesting. It's because it, it has like a rare defect or something. Um, Jim Cornette, he's still alive. He's still alive, preaching. This, this Russian dude, he's dead. Um, he's still, yeah, he's still Michael, uh, Michael Freebird, what's his name? Yeah, Freebird. Wait, is that a rebel flag on his back? Yeah, I'm a, <laughs> yes. yeah. Oh, God. I was going to say, Michael, not Michael Cole, but... uh. He's the one that X-Pac cut his ponytail off of. Michael Hayes. There. Michael Hayes. Yeah. Uh, on the plane ride from hell. Watch yeah, that Dark Side yeah, of the Ring. That's right. Yeah. That was a good episode because it just gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> how can this get worse? That should and be it's a... just like, oh, it's, got, it's, it, it's getting worse. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, there should be a movie based on the plane ride from hell. <laughs> yeah, surprise <it> <laughs> What? Wait, what the... F- Again, sorry, visual stuff on audio podcast. We're watching the entrance to this battle royale. I'm like, he's gobbledygooker. Yeah, he was in WrestleMania 3 or something. He, like, popped out of an egg or something like that. They show a clip later. Yeah, the, the there's a giant uh, egg oh, on yeah. at Survivor Series, and he pops out of it. And no that's one what, is That's impressed. what they need him more. It's more like, you know, people in mascot costumes wrestling, because that is enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> gotta be burning up that's, in that, that's for sure but yeah Absolutely. anyway it was a nice look in the past and melissa really enjoyed watching that she's like let's load up another wrestlemania <laughs> yeah so i'm like i don't know which yeah, for a... need to roll a die like a 38 side die and see which <laughs> one comes up because <laughs> uh, uh when the wwe network first came out that's what i did except i did i started i did royal, royal uh, i did all the royal rumbles oh, so yeah this will be good to go back and watch to. all the rumbles now we've been watching the rumbles because they're on YouTube as well. Just the rumble part. Yeah. But. Those are fun because you know there there's very few rumbles I remember the winner of. So it's all wow. Look at them rebel flags in this stadium. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, so wow. this took place also in the Houston Astrodome. Hey, don't mess with Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Look at that. There's another one. There's another third. God damn it. <laughs> oh, and another yikes. one. And another one. Yeah. Sergeant Slaughter. The only G.I. Joe figure I had based on a wrestler. 
Oh yikes! Yeah, that's that. Uh, match like that is so much fun though. Yeah, yeah. Always love like stuff like gimmick that. matches. <laughs> it goes out probably in the first five seconds. I guess you can't I'm see. Surprised not out yet. Oh, they're waiting for the yeah. camera to cut over. Yeah, and the camera guy's like, "Okay, can now do it." Man, yeah. I had my money on him. I had my money on the Gobbledygooker to win. Anyway, that was fun. Oh yeah, always like that's really fun to go watch back and watch those matches. So if you mm-hmm. haven't done it, get Peacock now because the network is owned yeah. by Peacock. The yeah. network is no more, and you can watch all the wrestling content you want that has been approved. And also Peacock shows. A lot of, so, yeah, some other stuff on there too. They got Jurassic Park and some other stuff. Yeah, MacGruber the Peacock's, series. Like honestly. If I if I had to keep like one because I, I I keep Netflix I'm still well I was grandfathered in but now it's twenty bucks a month for everybody. No kidding. Like, yeah, no. Yeah, so like Netflix might be going pretty soon until some shows build up that I want to watch. Yeah, Netflix just has that's what I do. Great documentary series though. They're few and far between. Uh, you know, when one comes out, but Netflix has some great documentaries and like they Tiger they King. It. They have some great shows too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they got a, uh, I'm a, I love true crime when it's about serial killers. Uh, I know it's a very old 40-year-old white woman with a white wine living alone thing to do, but I love serial killer documentaries. I got a good one. Uh, hopefully a new one coming. Oh, it's a new one. I hope hopefully, hope is good about John Wayne Gacy coming uh-huh. out at the end of the month. Uh, again, I find that stuff interesting. The dark side of humanity. Uh-huh. Uh, it's always entertaining to me you know, in, the wor- in the most <laughs> morbid way, I guess. Anyway, let's stop talking about a serial killer fetish. Uh, uh-huh. Star Trek, the series. Now, I broke this down by the OG series, the Next Generation movies, and the Kel- I think it's called the Kelvin series, which is the new one because it's the Kelvin timeline. I believe I'm correct on that. I'm not 100% <laughs> sure. So if any Trekkers are out there, 80svisit at gmail.com. Set me straight. Uh, but as far as the OG movies go, this is my ranking, and we'll go from worst to best on each of these. Uh, Voyage Home is, is my least favorite OG one. Uh, that's the one we did last week. That's the one most people think is their best or second best. No, sir. I don't like it. However, I, don't, I got the IMDb scores, too, for like uh, some metrics here. Uh, Voyage Home is a 7.3 on IMDb, but it's a uh, number six for me. Uh, followed uh, number five would be the motion picture, the first one, 6.4 on IMDb. It's, it's just that it's so long. The, original, the Star Trek the motion picture is just too damn long to me. I like the story, though, how they think uh, Vogger is, is actually Voyager. It's the space probe interest and sentient mm. great great again it's kind of like the, uh this movie we talked about today good story a little too long though uh number four for me would be search for spock 6.6 on imdb uh it should be christopher lloyd as a klingon and that ending how they trick the klingons to go into the enterprise and then they're on the bird of prey it's badass it's a badass ending mm. uh three for me would be this movie final frontier and again 5.4 lowest rated star trek movie of all of all time 5.4 is the lowest rated one, and it's the final frontier. But again, this movie, it's, it's nostalgia talking, because let's be honest, Search for Spock, I probably like more now than this one. But again, nostalgia, I understand it. I'm admitting to it. You don't have to keep getting mad about it. Nostalgia plays a factor here for me in the placement of Final Frontier. Uh, number two for me, Undiscovered Country, 7.2 on IMDb. This movie is badass uh, with the space battle. You got Christopher Plummer. Basically, you take an actor named Chris and you put him as a Klingon and they're going to kill it. You got Christopher Lloyd in three, Christopher Plummer in Undiscovered Country. And you got the political intrigue in that one, too, which I really like. But you just had this badass moment. And you got Sulu on his own ship. Sulu has a badass line. He's like, we're not going to get there in time. We'll fly the ship apart. He's like, fire apart then. Badass. You got to watch it. <laughs> Star Trek Six is awesome. Much better than the last two ones that we just watched. 
uh, and then Kirk is they, they can't because the, the thing about a bird of prey is, and it's one of the, the, the bird of prey is one of the coolest Star Trek or coolest sci fi ships, period. It, the design is cool, it can cloak, which is badass. Uh, but the thing about a bird of prey is it has to uncloak to fire. You know, it's kind of like it's weak. It's it's that's it's balancing in this RPG game. You know, <laughs> it can't be too OP. It has to un- uncloak to fire. But in Star Trek Six, they got an OP bird of prey. It uncloaks just to fire and then immediately cloaks. So you kind of like you get a ping and then it, it's cloaked again. So it's still not OP, but definitely eat. Uh, so it's like they can't. It can fire while cloaked, so they can't find it. So of course, they do their pseudoscience babble talk and figure out a way to find it. Uh, and then like they find it and like Kirk's like this badass shot. Like the, the enterprise is about to like, they're about to die. Like, cause it's, they're, they have to keep taking hit after hit to find it. And it's like, he's like, they finally, he's, you got the torpedoes. Like they got it. They got, they, they, they know how to track it after the shot and they get hit. Kirk like stands up, dusts his shoulders off fire. Camera zooms in super dramatic enterprise fires, hits the bird of prey. Sulu's like target that explosion and fire and they blow it out of the water. And then Christopher Plummer, about to die on the bridge of his bird of prey, looks to his off into space, because they're in space, to his left and goes, to be or not to be, and blows up. It's a bad, I've ruined it, totally ruined it for you, I haven't seen it, but I'll be honest with you, it's one of the baddest, it's, that sequence is bad, at, it's like my favorite Star Trek sequence, like, in term, like, of the OG trilogy, for sure. Undiscovered Country great it's the last one of the og crew it's a good it's a great one to end on as end on as opposed to final frontier and of course the best my favorite star trek movie of the original crew star trek 2 the wrath of khan because it's just badass and that that battle at the end like kind of a silent submarine-esque battle in space is uh really really well done and we reviewed both that and star trek the search for spock which is part three, as I mentioned uh, earlier, much earlier in the history of this podcast, years and years ago. And that's why we're kind of finishing up the series now, at least in its 80s run. Uh, so you had six OG Star Trek movies, and you had four for the next generation. Uh, my least favorite, Insurrection, 6.4 on IMDb. That's the one with uh, F. Murray Abraham as a stretchy face villain like the chick from Brazil. Uh, Nemesis number th- uh, would be my third favorite, 6.4. That's the one with Tom Hardy as a young Picard, where uh, you think Data quote unquote dies. Uh, third would be gener- or, I'm sorry. Second will be Generation six point six on IMDb. That's of course the one where uh, Kirk and Picard meet and we see Kirk die. And hey, in, in he doesn't die alone. He was wrong in this movie, Final Frontier, where he said, "I always knew that I'd die alone." He didn't die alone. Picard was there. Hmm. So at least in that timeline <laughs> or that alternate hmm. reality. Uh, and then, of course, the best Next Generation movie, 7.6, Star Trek First Contact, The Borg, which with, all, with also one of the most badass moments in Star Trek history where Data, you know, he's like, Data, destroy them. And she, you know, he, 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 he hesitates like a split second and he pushes the button. They make it blatantly obvious in the directing, directed by Jonathan Frakes, uh, where it's the, the torpedo is going to hit the, the ship that, you know, makes humans noticeable to the Romulans or the Vulcans or whatever it is in the history of Star Trek to where we become part of the Federation, you know, starting the whole Star Trek franchise, basically, in the timeline, misses, and she's like, Data, resistance is futile. And he smashes mm-hmm. the thing and dissolves all the flesh, and Picard has to jump out of the way. Great! Star Trek is king of, like, badass one-liners at the right moment. <laughs> really badass. 
uh, you know, they, 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 they sell them when it happens. It's almost like a wrestling moment, you know, like that's the <laughs> promo where the, that's the, the mic drop promo and the action kicks off the series that both like, first contact undiscovered country, both super great at that. And then of course we have the new movies, which there's only three, uh, beyond is my least favorite. Honestly, I was very disappointed with that. It, uh, seven on IMDb. Uh, and then you had, of course, you had the, the first one, the first reboot, you know, uh, just Star Trek, 7.9 on IMDb. The highest rated Star Trek movie in the franchise is J.J. Abrams' Star Trek. Uh, loved it. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was knocked it out of the goddamn park. However, I prefer Into Darkness uh, a bit more. It's basically retelling Star Trek II. But when you're watching it for the first time, unless it got spoiled and, or you really know your Star Trek history, when, he, when Benedict Cumberbatch says that he's Khan, I was like, oh, my God. And uh, <laughs> the whole scene at the end, the, like the different uh, set pieces they have, like where him and Kirk rocket out through the debris to get to Peter Robocop ship. You know, the whole plot line of that, the mo- you know, bad, speaking of badass moments. Uh, you got the part where like the Enterprise is crashing, you know, the mu- and the music is amazing in the new series as well. The Enterprise is crashing, it's going down, and the camera follows it, and then it stops as it disappears in clouds. And then poof, Enterprise comes up through the clouds, the music hits. It is bad ass. It is so <laughs> awesome. And somebody's at the door. FedEx. I'll get to you in a second, buddy. Uh, uh, so yeah. So that now that's broken down by their series. So I think the best OG is Khan, the best Next Generation is First Contact, and the best uh, Kelvin series is Into Darkness. And again, my personal preference, but in terms of overall, which, which, what, what, what Star Trek movies do I think are my favorite overall? Into Darkness, First Contact, and probably Undiscovered Country, if I had to do like a top three. I wouldn't put Khan there simply because Undiscovered Country is just so much more fun to rewatch. It's so much more faster paced, and it's got... You know, it's just, it's more, it's more action heavy in terms. I'm not going to say it's a better movie than Star Trek 2, but in terms, if I had to pick just a top three, just narrow down to a top three, Into Darkness, number one, and then First Contact, and then Undiscovered Country for me. Uh, a casual trek, trekker. So there you go. Uh, Jesse, any thoughts as to, like, you know, offhand, what you would say, you know, your, your high points of the Star Trek franchise? Uh, I recall enjoying... Um... Of course, new generations uh, movies. Yeah. The, uh, what is it called? First Contact. Yeah, you mentioned it earlier. Yeah, that had its high moments, and it's all coming back during watching Picard. Like mm. they hit on a lot of points made by those movies, so it's That's nice awesome. to see. But uh, yeah, I'd probably put that somewhere in my tops. Yeah, so I'm hoping because they are talking about Star Trek Four. And like I said, I mean, to me, start the, the Abrams remake or reboot and then Into Darkness set the bar so high that to me, Beyond was just beyond disappointing for me after following up those. Although a lot of people like it. Maybe I should rewatch it again. But uh, I'm hoping the next one, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it's going to be sad because I'm going to have Yelchin uh, in the next one with him passing away between them. But uh, I like I like the new crew. I like uh, Chris Pine was great. You know, speaking of badass moments, you know, the the... Abrams Star Trek, you know, your father, you know, piloted a captain to starship for like 23 seconds and saved 18,000 lives. Let's see if you can do better. Like another mic drop moment, you know, and he was Thor. Right, I'll, be, I'll be absolutely honest. <laughs> yeah. Thor sacrificed his <laughs> life. For, Thor is his daddy. Uh, but yeah, I'll tell you what, I, when I, I rewatched that not too long ago and like, I, I man, I teared up at that moment. Cause uh, yeah, 
I do remember kid now. the character building in the first one was really good. Very, very well done. First Absolutely. Of JJ's, I mean. Yeah. And I think that carries over into End of Darkness. I think that they're a great, it's a great double feature. Uh, I think, and it's the cast just is so good. It was so, you know, I th- it, true reverence, I think, in like, okay, we're redoing Star Trek. And I think they really just truly nailed the casting. Because I think that was a big worry going in. Like, who are these people playing these iconic characters? And I think <laughs> nailed it out of, and of course you have, and not to mention you got uh, Eric Ban as your villain in the first one. So those two, just a badass duality. I wish, I truly wish Beyond was better. Uh, but again, just my opinion. So let us know what you think. 80s Revisited at gmail.com on Facebook, 80s Revisited Podcast on Instagram, 80s underscore Revisited. And of course, check out our friends, Cajun Toy Review, John and Lafayette. Check out his YouTube channel. He's reviewing toys left and right all over the place. Uh, and of course, our good friend, Ben in Tasmania with TCW Championship Wrestling. Check it out. And speaking of Ben, I meant to read this on uh, last week's episode, uh, but now a lot of people might just check out right here. So if you're not interested in Neon Genesis mm-hmm. Evangelion, you don't need to listen to this, but uh, Ben had mentioned before on Facebook to me, he was going to send me kind of an order because you have the, the OG series of uh, NGE, as I'll call it, just to shorten it, or Neon Genesis. So I don't have to say the entire title every time as I'm talking about it. But then they had all these movies come out and me just watching the original 26 series didn't know were these continuations reboots i kept hearing different things i didn't understand it too much but ben sent me an amazing email uh about it so i want to i think it's if anybody's interested this is for you if you're not we'll see you next week uh but anyway i just want to read this uh because ben spent a lot of time on it and if you're wondering like me it's in- extremely informative so uh if you see uh Ben from Tasmania says, I forgot to address this earlier, but watching Evangelion isn't as complicated as it may seem. Okay, here we go. Uh, number one, point number one, the original 26th episode of Neon Genesis Evangelion, although the Netflix version is a redub, is still sufficient. So I didn't know that. I didn't know the Netflix, Netflix, nah, it's talking too goddamn fast. <laughs> I didn't realize the Netflix version that you can watch now is actually a redub. But he says it's still sufficient because uh, I originally watched this on DVD back in the day. I had a box set. Uh, he says, now, if you've seen these in the past and don't want to rewatch it all before the new stuff, there's also Evangelion Death True Squared on Netflix, which is a recap movie of the series and also available, obviously, on Netflix. So you see, it's already confusing. There's a movie and the TV show. Uh, and then two, End of Evangelion. Evangelion, this is a, the original movie that finishes off the series. It's also on Netflix. And now we jump ahead to the four rebuild of Eva films that are all available on Amazon Prime streaming. Uh, you have... Uh, Evangelion 1.11, You Are Not Alone. For the most part, it's the original six episodes, but remade with better sound and visuals, but there are slight wrinkles in the story. And you think, wait, is this remake or an actual sequel? Uh, I'm not going to read this other stuff in case you haven't seen the series. Uh, Evangelion 2.22, You Cannot Advance. This is where all of Evangelion peaks for me, says Ben. I fucking love this movie. The plot accelerates and diverges drastically from the original series at the end. And then Evangelion uh, 3.33, you cannot redo. Uh, the state of the earth is not great to say the least. Hey, this movie for a long time. The animation style on this one is very off-putting. This made me wary of the fourth and final film would be like because of its because it uh it nailed the landing and not but uh hold on I'm sorry would be like but would be would be like but be because oh, sorry sorry my bad but because it nailed the landing I've now warmed to this one. Sorry Ben. 
<laughs> I got it. Uh, and then finally, Evangelion 3.0 and 1.0, thrice upon a time. Perfect ending. Time loop theory is confirmed. Plans get the closure they wanted for 24 years or so. Sorry for the rambling. I'm a bit passionate on Evangelion. We know you got, he's got a tattooed. He's got the nerve tattoo. Uh, to sum up, it's just five movies if you've already seen the series. And Trey, if you have those discontinued DVDs, they're worth quite a bit, so you should hold on to them. Aye, aye, Captain. P.S. I like the woke siren you do now. Wee, wee, wee. There you go. They do this episode. <laughs> but I did it just for you, Ben. So, yeah, if you've, you know, like I said, I I just watched Evangelion, Evangelion, whichever, whichever is the proper pronunciation, forgive me, I'll say both ten times before I get to it, uh, the right one. Uh, but it's on Netflix. Uh, watch the series first is what Ben's telling you, or you can watch the, the movies, like I said, that, that uh, kind of recap it. But uh, all, all the time I'll see like some random Facebook group of mine is like, what's the greatest anime of all time? I, without hesitation, put Neon Genesis Evangelion. Evangelion, Galleon, Jellion, whatever it is. Ben, let me know <laughs> what it fucking is. <laughs> I've, I've said both in my life. Uh, Evangelion, I think I even call it that before too. Because <laughs> like, what is this word? Uh but anyway, so yeah, if you've been curious like I was for a long time, Ben broke it down for us. Thank you so much, Ben. Oh, here we go. Evangelion. Even so it's Evangelion, according to Google. Evangelion. Evangel- not gel, yep. like I was Evangel Evangelion. Yep, correct. Okay. Put to bed. Again, I misspeak all the t- I mispronounce, excuse me, all the time. It's a character trait. Mm-hmm. It endears me to some people and infuriates me to others. It's my special power. But anyway, leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. And again, I only ask if you hate this podcast and you leave a one-star review, I'm totally cool with it. Just let us know why. So we can understand other people's thoughts and prayers and probably do nothing to adjust them because you left us a one-star review. But nevertheless, (laughs) it's good to hear good and bad criticism because that's how you grow as a person. And speaking of growing, we will grow into the false narrative that I created a couple weeks ago when I could have sworn that we did this movie already on the podcast. And as it turned out, we hadn't. We had to go back and check to make sure we didn't do it. That's that's because we got so many damn episodes now, Jesse. <laughs> so next week, this is Spinal Tap here mm. on 80s Revisited. Wear your best 80s rocker shirt, get your ear pierced, get your hair done into a mullet, and get ready to rock out as we talk about the band, the greatest band that never was, wink, wink, with Spinal Tap. Next week here on 80s Revisited. Until next time, I remain Trey Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Live long and cowabunga!